0: Hi, and welcome to the Winning Parenting Podcast. In this episode, we talk about not judging a book by its cover. You've probably heard that term before. What I mean by this is that you often may not know what may have triggered your spouse, kids, friends, coworkers, or family members to be overly excited or irritable at any one point in time. For your children, it could have occurred because of a good or a bad interaction with a peer at school. Maybe they got a good, grade or a bad one. Maybe they scored the winning goal on the sports team or let the winning goal score against them. Or maybe, or just maybe, there's a mental condition going on that's surfacing that you can't yet detect. Well, many of our kids are suffering from anxiety and depression. 70 or more percent of the time, it's actually genetic. So it's hard to fault your kids for what you may have passed down to them. The other 30% is based on environmental conditions. If they're in a nurturing home without trauma, that certainly reduces the risk. If they've experienced trauma or abuse, however, it's a different ballgame. So today I'm pleased to speak with Steve Wilson. He grew up with trauma and developed bipolar disorder. He's written an inspiring and educational book about it called Teetering on a Tightrope, My bipolar journey his bio says as a normal energetic boy of nine I never imagined the horror I would experience in just a few short months that would lead me into a life of despair dealing with bipolar disorder so I I I enjoyed uh connecting with Steve and learning about him and he's certainly very vulnerable and wants to help others and he's got a really uh interesting and good story that I'm sure a lot of us learn from. So I'm looking forward to digging in and exploring Steve's background and perspective. And Steve, I welcomed you to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Andy. Glad to be here.
0: Okay. So jumping right in, um, tell us a little bit about your childhood. I know it was complicated uh, and, you know, what significant things impacted your childhood?
1: Well, I know this is a parenting podcast, and my trauma is when I was nine years old and I was sexually assaulted. The outcome of that was that I decided never to tell anybody i was embarrassed i thought it was my fault i didn't know why the guy picked me out and why i didn't pick somebody else but this was 1958 and it was a total different ball game back then nobody told anybody about mental problems so i just Didn't tell my parents, didn't tell my siblings, didn't tell my friends, didn't tell anybody. I went on as a normal kid for about two months and then the depression set in and it was awful. I was 10 years old that time. Uh, I couldn't study anymore. I was lethargic. I didn't want to play with my friends, couldn't sleep, thought I was a piece of garbage, no one loved me. And that went on for about three months. Then it lifted for two or three months. And I got a lot better. What I soon figured out was that bipolar, which I later on was diagnosed with, went up and down. It wasn't there all the time. It's like a roller coaster ride. Now, what I needed back then was support from family and friends. I didn't get it. And it was my own fault because I didn't tell anybody what had happened to me. I was just lethargic, watched TV all the time, didn't want to do anything. And my parents didn't know what was wrong with me. And unfortunately, they never asked. So I really can't fault them for not giving me the support I need on one hand. But on the other hand, I think that the big thing that if you learn anything from this podcast is you've got to pay attention to your kid's mood, because that'll tell you something. And I was pretty bad back then. Then I, and, and it had lifted and I was okay until about seventh grade. And in the seventh grade, I had a, another tumble. And that lasted several months. Still, I got no support. Um, I was able to go through high school, but I was in bad shape, but I faked it all the time. No one could tell how screwed up I was. And I mean nobody. Um, Mental patients have this great ability to hide what's happening. And so I went through high school and uh, don't know how I was able to get into college, but I was because my grades were terrible. I didn't study at all, didn't, didn't do anything. And I went to Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. And I did pretty well mental-wise throughout college, few problems, but nothing very big. But then I got really bad after I graduated. And uh, I had an altercation with my father. It led me to three weeks in a mental hospital and that was the first time they tried medication not much worked they diagnosed me as uh, clinically depressed none of the medications did anything for me and then six or eight years later they said they made a mistake that I had bipolar oh I didn't know what bipolar was never heard of it and I don't know that anybody else outside the profession has ever heard of it but that's in a nutshell how I got diagnosed with bipolar. Okay. And I can only say looking back, I wish I had told somebody.
0: Yeah. So let me unpack that. I mean, you've had an impactful childhood. I'm sure you had some positive times, but certainly a lot of a lot of negativity in in, in or challenge in terms of what you just shared and um you know a couple couple things come to mind that you talked about one is you know mental health is certainly more well known but it still is stigmatized so there are kids nowadays a generation or two later who still are traumatized in one way shape or form and aren't aren't willing to get the help that they need or can't get the help that they need because they don't know how to articulate or where to go uh and then and then um you know i think you know do you view that do you do you view that um the same way that kids still are challenged in some of those ways even though it's more more prevalent or more understood
1: well absolutely i'll tell you uh when i was diagnosed with lithium for the first time i got or with uh, bipolar for the first time i got lithium and that really made me a lot better i was about maybe 50% better but i was able to get my life back and i had a clothing store in ohio and one day i was it was around Christmas time, and at Christmas time, we always hired young ladies, junior high, high school, to do errands for us, wrap packages, and all that. I hired this one little girl who was about sixteen. She was real bubbly, a lot of fun, big smile, had everything going for her. One night, she pulled the covers over her head and shot herself over, and shot herself in the head, and killed herself. Really. No, you- Um, that affected me so much that I started speaking to high school uh, psychology and health classes. One thing we did after each meeting was we asked any kids who wanted to, to come up and share what they're going through, but just with me, not with the group. And I really got the idea of how much struggling these kids are doing because a couple kids came up, both girls. First one was very attractive, a great athlete, one of the top students in the school. She had everything going for her. She came up to me and said, I don't know what to do. I am so stressed. My parents, my grandparents, my teachers, All are pushing me to get into the biggest and best colleges across from across the country. I can't take it anymore. Uh, I just don't know what to do. So I told her about child psychologists, and that's about all I could do. And I hope she got help. The next little girl came up. She was... A normal kid uh, doing pretty well in school. She said, I have no friends. Nobody likes me. My parents hate me. I want to run away. I want to die. She also was 16 or 17 years old. All I could do was tell her about what's available. Never saw her again. These kids are being pushed to the limit. And twenty percent of high school and oh, just just say kids all overall are depressed by some way or mentally ill.
0: Yeah. And
1: the schools are very little help. Right. I remember in
0: social media, all you see is the best of people or yeah. the or the the face that they put on, you don't see the vulnerability or the struggles they go through, and they don't they don't know how to reach out to, for help. I'm sorry for those two young ladies, and I'm I'm glad you were there for them at least to talk to, even if you couldn't solve their problem, they still have to solve their own problems.
1: There was another case. I got called into a high school to talk to two girls who were caught cutting themselves. And yes. You know uh huh. And I really wasn't very familiar with it. And I went in and asked him blatantly, why do you do it? What do you get out of it? Never telling him how bad it was, but just asking him questions. And they said, you know, we're under so much pressure that the only relief we get is from cutting our arm And that sensation is so powerful that we enjoy it. So parents have no idea. Counselors are ill-equipped to handle this. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse.
0: So what you mentioned about your parents, parents in general, and your parents being clued in a little bit more. How do you suggest they get clued in a little bit more so they kind of have a better understanding of, you know, of what, what's possible or, or, or what could be happening behind the scenes where they can provide the support and guidance that their kids really need?
1: Well, they have to pay attention to their kids' moods. That tells a story right there. Uh, Kids can fake it all they want in front of their friends, and they can fake it in front of their parents. But sooner or later at home, they will let down their guard. They still won't say anything, but you'll notice all they're doing is playing video games. Uh, They're not studying. They're not eating. They're not sleeping. And you just got to be proactive and don't condemn them. Support them. Talk to them about, you know, are you, are you doing okay? How stressed are you? Are you taking drugs? But don't condemn them if you, if you want to ask something like that. It's all about support. That's That's what the parents have. That's all they got.
0: Right. Well, you have to be curious. You have to peel back the onion. And the only thing, um, that you have to be careful of is just not to ask closed ended questions. So if you, you know, if you ask them how, you know, um, how they feel about a certain thing and they have to explain it, it's very different than giving a yes or a no answer that illuminates the situation a little bit more, but your kid has to feel comfortable doing that. Right.
1: And also they can't expect an answer right away you know, these kids really are feeling really down and the parents and nobody else has an idea of what it feels like if they're suicidal.
0: Right. And the parents want an answer. The parents want a solution. The parents want to help. Yeah. It doesn't always work that way. Yeah.
1: Well, if you ask a person who is having suicidal ideations, what it feels like, That person can describe exactly what it feels like. But the person he's talking to can't grasp how bad it is.
0: So, what was it like for you? That was one of the questions I had that I was going to follow up with because you went through some of that yourself.
1: Well, I was not ever questioned about how I was feeling until about 1970. So that was uh, 12 years after I had my first experience with depression. I hid it so well that I didn't get any feedback from anybody. I was the class clown. I screwed around all the time. And nobody had a clue huge mistake because without support you just go down and and finally my mother who had had psychiatric problems in her life somehow realized something was going on this was after i was in college and she got me to a psychiatrist and that was the best thing she could have done
0: but did you have any suicidal ideations yourself yes yes um and what and, was that what was that like being on the being on the edge there
1: the most prominent way it happened was i I've, I've been a swimmer all my life and i swam laps every day and when i would go down to the pool to swim laps At the time I was at my worst and having suicidal ideations, I remember it all started because I dived into the water and every single stroke, something in my mind would tell me to kill myself. Now it was a voice from out here somewhere. I don't know what it was. And that continued mostly... (laughs) It was, it was mostly revolving one terrible weekend was at its worst. And that's when I had the altercation with my father. Uh, I thought about killing him, and I went to the hospital. And the ideations stayed with me, but they were not as terrible as they were before. But when you have those ideations, you really got to fight back. I never tried anything. Um, I don't know how i got through it
0: but it's a powerful feeling i would imagine i've never been there but something that's hard to resist right you're fighting
1: for your life Mm -hmm. and i guess the the conditions to survive really show up and uh and uh somehow beat it back you know um A lot of these people who attempt suicide are doing it to get attention. Now, not attention meaning, oh, look, I can try to commit suicide, but to try to get somebody to help them.
0: Hmm. It's a call for help.
1: Call for help. Hmm. And guess what? Not a lot of people see it that way.
0: Understood. Well said. So... You went to this psychiatrist and you got medicated and was that the was that what helped you with your recovery or was it something mentally on your part that 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 allowed you to kind of start moving forward with your life
1: Well when I first got diagnosed I said you know I told you I was diagnosed clinical depression and none of the pills helped there weren't very many this is back in 1970 50 years ago but when they diagnosed me six or eight years later with, with uh, bipolar disorder, they tried lithium, as I mentioned, and it that is what got me on the road to recovery. Now, lithium alone did not solve my problems, it just lessened them. And over the years I was able to get a cocktail, meaning everybody that I know of It comes to my, uh, the groups I facilitate is on, if they choose to take medication, they're on four, five, six medications. There is not a standard of one medication that helps everybody get back. It's trial and error. Uh, No psychiatrist, psychologist that I know of has the answers to help everybody. It's hit and miss. And only 50% of the patients are helped by medication. So they've got to go and do other treatments. And there are a bunch that are good. EMDR.
0: Yep. uh, Familiar with that. Yep.
1: There's a bunch of them. Yep. Now. I would say that in my groups, because I I facilitate two groups here in Phoenix, and I want to say this, and this is this is heartbreaking. I've seen well over a thousand people over the years. I don't know what the percentage is, but a high percentage of them are the way they are mentally, because of sexual, physical, mental abuse when they were young yeah. just a fact they come to the group they hid it they didn't tell anybody or they're still living in that fear every day because their father's a drunk and he comes home and beats them. but it in this society and I assume it's worldwide family life can be really hazardous to their mental health Mm -hmm. it's a crime how many parents and friends bullies and so on ruin the lives of these young people
0: right and when you were when you were younger you're in your 70s now right when you were Mm -hmm. younger it was far more common to have two parents in your house married parents in your household now now you've got so much co-parenting going on and single parenting going on, it's forty five percent of 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 families are 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 not your traditional two parent families, and so right. you've got extra stress and extra you know uh, extra you know it, it, that causes additional traumas on top of everything there. So tell tell me about you know um, once you went on the lithium. Um, How did, you know, how did, how did you manage through your professional life and, and, and how did your family life develop?
1: Well, I got married in 1972 to a gal I met in college and we've been married for 50 years.
0: Congratulations. Thank
1: Thank you. It was rocky for her because I was so bad those first seven or eight years. And I didn't realize how I was affecting her because I was having all my own problems. Work-wise, I really have struggled all my life. Um, I lost job after job, I quit them. I think I only got fired from one job, but I, I just couldn't do the work. I was a teacher for six weeks. And sat in the classrooms, didn't teach him anything. I couldn't. So that's the way my work life started out. And then I went to into business with my father, and he couldn't fire me, <laughs> but it was still pretty horrible.
0: That's and, because you were you were so up and down at times.
1: Yeah, and I would. Uh, yell at my bosses and yell at co-workers i was i was a mess Hmm. and couldn't sleep it it was horrible Um, and then i'd get good for a few months and things would go around okay and then i'd fall apart again i also was hurt by the fact that i took jobs that many times were very boring and when you're mentally ill um boredom is your enemy
0: and you need, you need structure is... and you need structure and Definitely. you need and and you need things that um inspire you and make the frontal part of your brain active right
1: right yeah and there's another big factor and that's called loneliness yeah it is In many ways, one of the worst things that you can have, because when you're lonely, then your mind goes all over the place. Right. And also, um, there's a thing called rumination that goes on, and it goes on in kids as well as adults, where your mind is just overcome with thoughts of destroying yourself or all the bad things you've done, and you can't turn off your mind. And And I didn't... That affects
0: sleep. That affects...
1: Go ahead. I'm sorry. That affects
0: productivity during the day and at night.
1: That affects everything.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I didn't get relief from that. That was the worst thing that hampered me, even after I was on the lithium. And I got the lithium in 1978. And I didn't get relief until I got another another uh, medication called Paxil in 2000 and when I got that medication the ruminations went away but that's one of the worst things uh, you can have is just your mind just goes crazy and you can't stop it right but since 2000 I've been pretty pretty good I can't can't complain so I've had 20 good years (laughs) out of eight seventy. (laughs) 70 but uh I wrote this book
0: yeah tell me a little bit about what you're doing since you recovered in the last 20 years you've been mentioning a few times about how you run some groups there in Phoenix and and uh what inspired you to do that and 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 tell tell us about the book
1: well, i tell you what inspired me to get involved with the groups was because I was teaching or speaking at those high schools when I was still in Ohio. And I came out here and I looked to continue to do the same thing about high schools, but the ones I contacted said, you're too old. So I still wanted to help people. So I got I answered an ad for facilitator and I got the job, no pay. All volunteer. And we have about six or seven groups every week. And I do two of them. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot, a lot of people who are falling through the cracks. Uh, the government, the insurance companies are horrible. The insurance companies have forced the psychiatrists and psychologists because of, so they pay them so little to drop insurance charge higher fees and there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who can't afford to get treatment so they come to my group and other groups
0: and it's an in-person group or is it on zoom is it low is it's, it for local zoom. People?
1: it was in person until covid and then we went on zoom and we're going to remain on zoom it's just a better way to do it
0: and it's for local people in your community
1: Anybody can join if they find out about it. I have a couple in Tucson, two hours away. I have one in New Hampshire and one in Ohio. I can see about 15 to 18 people per session and no charge. And uh, we try not to judge anybody. They almost all of them talk about for the first time in their lives what they've gone through. They have no, no other place to tell people. They'll talk right. about
0: I've got people you tell us. Can you tell me the name of the group? Share the name of the group. The name of the group
1: is COPA. That's the the head group. My sessions are called New Dawn and New Horizons. Um, but you don't specifically want to look for my group unless you're in Phoenix, because right. there are so many national organizations that can point you to groups in your area, in your state, in your town. Right. Almost all of them have uh, support groups for, I have people who come to my two groups and the other four or five groups every week. It's their outlet,
0: their social
1: time. And they keep coming and coming and coming.
0: Yeah, yeah the national alliance on mental illness nami yes is is, is you know a good place to go cuz that's everywhere okay um tell me about your book
1: well my book is called teetering on a tightrope my bipolar journey the reason i wrote it was because about 4 or 5 years ago i was still struggling with a couple uh problems i had That I needed to get closure to. So I went to a trauma therapist here in Scottsdale and she started out by um, going from the beginning of my memory of my childhood all through my life. And there were several traumas that I didn't really relate to them being traumas, but they were almost as impactful as the sexual assault. So it was a real eye-opener for me. And when we were all done with going through my life, she said, you know, there's a bunch of stuff you should be telling people. And you ought to write a book about this because I know you've uh, spoken to people before. So that's how the book started. It is a chronological outline of my life from age eight and it just goes through everything i i don't hold back on anything there might be a couple triggers in it but i try to keep those to a minimum and the reason i really wrote the book was because of the stigma about mental health in this country and around the world people don't understand it. they think oh you feel bad I'll go take a walk. That'll make you feel better. Or go to the movies. Right. And it's just not going to work. It's the stupidest thing you can say. So I wrote the book for the stigma. And then at the end of the book, when I'm talking about my groups and so on, I spend a fair amount of time talking about how it is a long journey dealing with bipolar how you have to if you're gonna if you're gonna successfully get your life back you have to really work on this every day and i point out that what the hell i took 30 years and and i also stress to them that that doesn't mean every day is going to be horrible you'll have a lot of good times and then you can there is no cure for bipolar, but they can successfully have a good life.
0: Okay. So where can they find the book? Is it on Amazon? Is it on a different Amazon website? Amazon
1: and Barnes and Noble. Um, it's an ebook too. And I think at the end of this week, it comes out as an audio book.
0: Wow, okay. well, we'll yeah. put the link in the show the link to the book in the show notes for sure so people have easy access to it okay. and um as we're wrapping up our our discussion here, this is meaningful and vulnerable. I just want to circle back to the parenting part, you cool. know uh, you know, as I said in my preamble, um you know a lot of kids are programmed based upon their genetics, but there is, you know and and even if you have a beautiful harmonious childhood you could still have issues behind the scenes right that may not come out unless you're unless parents are aware and then if there is some kind of trauma that's related to family dynamics or related to something outside you know that can have a an even bigger impact, and it's something that parents really need to be attuned to um, to make sure that the kids get the help that they need at the right time. Because if it continues to fester and it, you know, it it affects their relationships and the way they see the world for years and years and years, right?
1: Right. Um, I wish there was a way to get through to parents what to look for. Unfortunately, in the world today, they're under so much stress Uh, and the world is a mess as far as everybody sees in the news. So there's a lot of things that get in the way of watching your kids in a way that you don't upset them. Um, I don't know. uh, Let me tell you something. I spoke at a uh, junior high school about five years ago. And I went to the, and they had a day set aside for mental health, one day. And I went to the girl, teacher, and I said, how often do you do this for these kids? And she says, oh, we do it once a year. I said, well, is that enough? She says, we don't want to scare
0: them. Boy.
1: So, and that that was only five years ago. Right. And this was a private school, a really good school. So, there's a lot of obstacles these kids got to get over. And I don't, and the only way we can do it is to get the word out. We can't force anybody to do anything.
0: Right. Right. Well, the reason I got into this coaching business was to be an ear, right? So the parents who are struggling could learn some tools and approaches, have some compassion, and be able to address issues with their kids that they may not be equipped for, right? Right. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, the some of the biggest things that come up are parents who don't know how to connect with their kids so they don't know what's going on right and that's where professional help really makes a big difference in terms of some of the things that the ways that you can communicate and the ways that you can connect with your kids so they feel comfortable sharing and they won't be judged or they won't be told what to do uh, you know and they'll realize that the parents don't have all the answers you know parents if they do their job they realize that they're a facilitator and the kid needs to find their own answer sometimes.
1: Well, there is a real problem with the patients themselves. Um, A lot of these kids don't want to take the medication. Now, That's not fair to say just kids. Adults, everybody have their own worst self. It's preventing them from getting Better. right, right. They won't take the medication. they take the medication to begin with, and in two or three weeks it doesn't cure them, so they throw the medication away
0: right, or they but, get therapy and then they fall back into their own ways as opposed to as opposed to experiencing some stress that's tough to get through, but it's what allows you to achieve the growth that you want, right.
1: And I don't know, parents, parents go, I don't want my kid taking medication. I don't want my, anybody to know that my kid is going to a therapist. Right. So it's not just the kids, it's the parents because they're embarrassed. Right. And that hurts everything.
0: Okay, Steve. Well, thank you for your time today thank you you so you're so uh you know your journey hasn't been an easy one but you've come out you know you're living your best life given the deck of cards you were handed and um i'm grateful that you're inspiring others and trying to lead others with your message about you know what kids are going through and how parents can better understand and and again we'll put the link for the book okay uh, in the show notes so Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank
1: you. Thank you, Andy. Good.
0: Hi, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you're enjoying Winning Parenting, and it's not only enjoyable, but inspirational and educational for you. If you like this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you were able to post a positive review on whatever podcast app you use. That enables us to reach more listeners who can benefit and enjoy. Also, if you have people you think would benefit from it, I'd really appreciate it, and I know they would if you would share it with them. If you have any topics that are of interest to you, feel free to email me at andy at Coaching.net. Similarly, if you have an interest in any of my parent coaching services, feel free again at andy at Coaching.net. Thank you.